Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, helping you win the race to the starting line. Hey everybody, this is Brian from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, uh, coming at you with another podcast. I think I'm winning the record for time between podcasts. Somebody sent me an email, said that they enjoyed the podcast, and uh, was wondering when I was going to throw another one up, and I realized once again it's been just a very, very, very long time since we uh, put anything up. So... Without further ado, here we are. We're going to talk about racing offshore, as always. Let's talk about crew dynamics. I think that's something that bears consideration. You know, we got a lot of folks that are getting ready for the Annapolis Bermuda race. In case you don't know, I help run that race. I run the safety committee. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to inspect a lot of boats. We're going to meet a lot of great people. And by the time we get to Bermuda, we're going to have a hell of a party. And what's one of my favorite things about racing to Bermuda is that, you know, once you get there, there's a big party when you're there. A trophy ceremony, lots of different you know, bands are playing. You're at this beautiful yacht club. You roam in the island. You maybe get a little scooter and try not to get run over or run over anybody. And then you, you pop into bars and there's the crew of Allegiant. Or you go into another bar and in the back of the room getting rowdy is the crew of Gallant or anybody. You know, you're just bumping into these people all over the island. You're walking around on the beach. There's another crew. And you're all friends. You're all comrades in arms. You're, you're, you know, you've all been through this offshore experience and got your butts kicked a little bit and had some Chamber of Commerce sailing conditions in other areas. And uh, it's just, it's a very, very nice community. And so if you haven't raced offshore before it's it's really worthwhile i have to say it's there's there's nothing else like it uh that i that i know of that has such camaraderie and such an opportunity for people to bring the best out of themselves gives up offshore sailing you know it gives people i mean sailing in general but offshore sailing specifically it, it gives people an opportunity to be brave and i think that in our modern life there there's, n- there's not a ton of call for that you know you you We live these regimented kind of lives and facing actual real danger and mastering your fear, right? Because that's what it is early on. Listen, you know, people will will talk smack all day long. But the reality is when you haven't done this before and you get offshore and the waves are big and you feel very, very small, that shit's scary. I mean, it it, it is. It, you know, it is until it isn't anymore. And then... And that's when the real fun starts. You know, you always want kind of that little bit of fear. Things are bad because without fear, we're just kind of foolish. Uh, you know, I know some people like that, uh, that just have never had the fear of anything. And so their risk mitigation is not all that it could be. And, and those people can be dangerous. Uh, they, all, they also can be great. The hard part to figure out is if you're new to this, you don't know if somebody is fearless because they're an idiot or fearless because they've done this before and they're just having a good time. You know, that's an opportunity to crank the music up to 11 and go for it. But early on, you got to be safe, you got to be careful, and you got to know your limits too. So anyway, crew dynamics. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Sorry, I just kind of went off on a tangent, which is why these like 20-minute talks end up being an hour sometimes. So when you're going offshore, the crew is, is very important. And you're going to have two different watches. And th- those watches whatever people start calling themselves, you know, the B team, team A, team red, team blue, uh, you know, some folks might name their watch, you know, the salty dog watch or, you know, some other ridiculous name that people come up with, whatever. But the dynamic of each watch is extremely important. 
because what can end up happening is if the crew is distributed unevenly in a way where you've got too many leaders, you know, you've got too many chiefs, not enough Indians, you've got not a strong leader, someone who's heavy-handed, people who don't like each other, you know, or have recently discovered that they don't particularly enjoy each other's company, that that can ruin the trip. If things are going wrong, I think you need to step in. If one watch is having a great time and the other watch is just miserable, the the skipper needs to step in and say we're going to we're going to mix things up a little bit. Breaking up a team is pretty severe, but it's it's an option, especially if things are starting to go sour. The problem is sometimes certain people can recognize when the situation is going sour better than others. You have to be sort of an observant type of person. You have to understand different personalities. And when things go wrong for an individual offshore, like it, you know, it might be they're feeling sick. It might feel they hate these people next to them. They just want to get to Bermuda. They just want to get to Tahiti. They just want to get to Hawaii, whatever. Usually that will manifest itself in someone going internal, going inside, getting quiet. And so quiet is not necessarily the worst thing. Sometimes people are just quiet crew members. You know, there are people who want to read a book. I've never been one for reading offshore. Too much going on. I'd rather just sleep. But quiet can mean they're having a shitty time. The opposite of that is bickering. Bickering is terrible because it just brings everybody down. And it's, I almost think that you should try and screen out the kind of people that are bickering people ahead of time to the extent you can because once you are offshore and you've got people that are sniping at each other like that is so to me that is so beyond the pale for anything that you should ever do on a, a race boat because it's 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 extremely self-centered it's extremely attention grabbing behavior and and that kind of thing that trying to be the center of the world through fights or through perceived slights or taking things out of proportion and blowing things up that that whole very childish way of making your world everybody else's world you gotta try and screen that out early and that's why you have to try and i mean if you can try and sail with people or just get people on your boat that have a good reputation for doing this before so so there there, there is that that said you can have a a good race you can have a race where people get up they take their trick on the wheel they trim their spinnaker they do their thing they sail all the way to wherever get off the boat say that was great guys and go home a boring race is a really lost opportunity i mean maybe you know, there's always gonna be something exciting that happens some particular moment in the race where you're like wow i can't believe that time we rounded up or we pass this boat or this or that tacking duel or, you know, whatever. But if people walk off the boat and they kind of had a, like a blah race, that's not okay for me. You got to come into the port like with new buddies, like new best friends, you know, like when people hit the dock and they scatter, I mean, that, that it's going to happen because frankly, you've been with these people for a long time. But like to my way of thinking, it should always be, you scatter and it's like, where are we all meeting for dinner? You know, where are we doing this? Like, and, and that doesn't always happen, but you should still feel like 
you're part of the team at the end of the race. So how do you do that, right? How, you know, what's the secret sauce? And I, I have a, a friend of mine that I feel like I've learned. He always says like he's learned stuff for me. I, I feel like I've learned a thousand times more from him in just his genius of an approach. You know, fun. And this is kind of like a epiphany is that fun on a boat doesn't always happen on accident. In fact, you kind of got to give it a little help. And so for me, the way that you can help that is with, uh, to me, at first it starts with the music, right? A playlist. What do people like to hear? What do people, what kind of music do people like? You know, um, mix it up. Because everything's better with music. I don't care what anybody says. I've heard these people that talk about, oh my God, why would you want to listen to music? I want to hear the sound of the ocean and you know, the wind in the ring. And to, to that I say, Get the hell out of here with that. <laughs> I've heard the sound of the, the wind in the rigging. You, you know, you can get yourself a sleep machine that, that plays that. I want to I be out there, and if it's blowing hard, I want to listen to some Metallica or some speed metal or something. You know, if it's a beautiful night and we're goofing around, you know, play some dance music or whatever. Whatever your, your thing is that you like, I, I really genuinely believe that having music on the boat is, is, is a great thing. Now, to be fair, like when shit's hitting the fan, the first thing anybody, the first thing I'm going to say is turn that shit off. You know, if you need to be able to communicate and you have some dangerous situations, that's fine. But if the boat's under control and we're just cranking, forget it. Like I'm, I'm listening to music. Obviously you need to be mindful of the people on the off watch cause they're trying to sleep. But you know, you've got these little like puck waterproof, kind of hockey puck sized speakers that you can run off your phone so use your playlist if you're using spotify or things like that you have to remember to download the stuff onto your phone because once you get offshore it's all internet based but you can download that stuff for like a week on any of those you know paid streaming services you can you can just do that so yeah but you have to remember to do it right like don't be on the plane to where you're leaving for your race and and try to download stuff because you know that didn't work either. Like sitting on the on the taxiway, through your through your home through your through your, your phone's connection, you know you need to be home on Wi-Fi and just give it that crap. You know spend spend three hours doing it, and get your playlist all sorted out. So anyway, uh, number one playlist, number two trying to line people up. Personally, and, and I you know this this comes back to my days on the schooner. I worked on schooners for a couple of years down in. And the Florida Keys, you know, that's a big crew, right? Crew dynamics important. That's a hundred and you know, hundred and thirty foot boat with a lot of loads and a lot of danger if you do something wrong. And I always felt, and this is just my personal opinion, I always felt that the crews operated better with at least one woman on each watch. I'm not trying to sound sexist or anything here, but I think that having a female on the watch kind of keeps things from getting a little too guyish i don't know if that's even a term but you know keeps people a little bit more civilized and i think that the the dynamic is better i just think that generally speaking it's 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 always seemed to go better with a, a woman on the boat and frankly we need more women in sailing anyway so get at least one female crew member maybe two the strength of the boat and the strengths of each watch can't really be understated. You need it. You need a good bow person, and you need a good bow person on the two different watches. So you need two, and the reason for that is, 
If you've only got one bow person you can really count on, that guy's just fucked. Because that means anytime that there's a big wind sail change, potentially anytime there's even a jibe, depending on the kind of boat you're sailing. If you run on a boat with a symmetrical spinnaker and there's you know some poles that need to come off and get put back on up in the pointy end, you need somebody who knows what they're doing up there. And if you just don't trust the guy, offshore is not the time for somebody to make a mistake. Offshore in the middle of the night is not the time for somebody to make a mistake. And so if you only have one bow guy that knows what the hell they're doing, it's it's completely unfair to them because they get zero sleep. It's almost as bad as the navigator. If you, if I haven't said this before, like as much as I love navigation, as much as I love charts and all that, I am never the navigator because that poor son of a bitch never gets any sleep. It's the hardest job on the boat. And it's the most thankless job in the boat. If you win, the whole team gets the, the credit. If you make the wrong choice and go the wrong direction and lose, it's all on you. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So yeah, Navigator, not my bag, baby. But that's okay. Some people love it and I love those people that love it. And it's a whole other level of involvement in, in racing the boat. I like to cook. If you And again, okay, so you're going to have to think about who's going to cook the food on this boat. Because you need somebody with a strong stomach to cook the meals. Because as soon as regular meals stop coming out, uh, that will undo your cook faster than anything else. Okay, People are already uncomfortable. People are already short on sleep, right? Like most people can't just fall. I can fall asleep with the drop of the hat anywhere. Most people can't do that. So these people are going to be tired, wet, exhausted, do not put hungry on top of that. So your 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 chef, your cookie, your whatever you want to call them, your your galley slave needs to be able to have a good strong stomach. And if you're not sure about that, if they haven't been tested before, they haven't done this a lot, then you need two people uh, to be dedicated to that. And you also need the kind of crew that needs to know up front that they need to take care take care of their shit, and that. The galley person does not work for them. Now, when I do the galley, I will clean the dishes. I would like to keep my area very tidy and clean. I wipe down everything. And many times I will say, no, I got it. You know, like people hand me dishes. You want me to do dishes? And I'm halfway through a batch and I'm already in there. And I say, no, don't worry about it. I got it. You know, and I do that because I like to do that. But I also like to be asked, and I also like to have the option, if I'm just, for whatever reason, not at 100%, being able to allow them to step in and do that is very important to me. I consider it my job to take care of the crew, but I also want to be asked. The, the worst kind of person on a boat is a person who just throws the dishes at you, never helps clean, never what, you know, it, if I'm doing the dishes, some some dude better be standing there with a towel saying, hey, I'll dry those for you. You know, it doesn't have to be the same guy every time. But, you know, having that consideration is very important. And and frankly, for an offshore race, I will take a, a considerate person who can drive over a jerk who won maybe 52 races or, you know, just don't, the whole team needs to work together and and. Mutual consideration, mutual respect goes very, very far. So you need somebody to keep everyone fed. You need good food. I can talk about that later. I do a lot of provisioning as well for boats. 
you need a leader and a leader with a soft touch is phenomenal, right? Like a soft-spoken leader. Before I knew anything about leadership, I used to always think that the boss had to come in and boss, you know, a bossy person is is a good boss, right? And I don't believe that anymore. A bossy person has an incredible skill set whereby they can align your desire for a good outcome with their instructions, right? So somebody comes up in deck and says, hey, we're going to get this down. Get this sail down. It's not good. Or, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, like, or kind of like browbeating people or something like that. That's not a good leader. You know, you need a leader. And a leader is very competent. And a leader is confident enough in their own skill that they don't need to make it about ego. And again, I'm, there's you know, the whole volumes of books that have been written about this, but this is just my personal observation and um, take, take it with a grain of salt. But all I know is I have experienced some incredibly good leaders and have marveled at their ability to not only get us all moving in the right direction, but to do it in a manner where never was a voice raised, you know, never was anyone's ego bruised. And that's an amazing skill. So if you find somebody like that, Jesus Christ, get them on your boat. I can't, I cannot confidently say that I, I can do that. I, I, I have watched that and I try to learn very hard from those people that can do that. But that is a skill and a gift. And uh, we should all be working harder to try and be better leaders. So, yeah, you need your leaders, you need your team players, you know, someone who's happy to do the hard yards and uh, but doesn't necessarily want the headache or the responsibility of being, being the, the top dog. So, anyway, when you have people that click well together, orchestrate some fun, and if I told you exactly how to do that, then the secret sauce would be a little bit tainted, so... Just think about ways that you can set up fun for people uh, without it being over the top. You kind of need somebody who's not on the boat, who's not afraid to be ridiculous. And, and, you know, I think folks would be surprised how much that puts everyone else at ease when somebody's willing to be the clown for the, for the boat. You know, you can be the clown. It doesn't mean you're not a serious person. It doesn't mean you don't know, you don't know what you're doing. But it... it Again, it's also a skill set. You know, you think these people are funny. Oh, that guy's just always funny. It's like, not always. Like, some of this stuff is orchestrated to keep the crew mentally balanced, to take them out of their own head. I mean, that's something that I actively try and do sometimes. You know, if you see somebody that's kind of going inwards, to try and draw them out a little bit, draw them into a conversation, you know, you're going to learn more about your crewmates uh, on your four or five, six days on the water, then their coworkers might know after 15 years. These people, you will know them, but they have to trust you to let you know them. The worst thing that can happen is you spend an entire race with somebody and they don't let you in at all. You don't have a couple of somewhat meaningful conversations with them about life. To me, that's a bit of a failure, and I'm always disappointed when there's somebody that I know on the boat or I've met for the first time and I can see from the person that they are that they're a good person, that they're an introspective person 
an intelligent person with kindness, and yet, for whatever reason, we didn't make some sort of a connection during the race. Because, uh, again, part of this is, 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 you know, expanding your circle, learning about people, about life. And, and there's no, there's just simply no other venue that I can think of where you have that opportunity to get a glimpse into somebody else's world and maybe help them make their world a little bit better. And maybe, you know, you, you again, this is getting a little, uh, you know, a little waffly here, but you get, you always get more than you give. You always get more than you give. And so if you lose those opportunities to, to, to break into somebody's life and get to know a little bit about them, it's it's a bit of a shame and some people are gonna suck <laughs> so there's some people that just have issues and i hate to say that but you're not gonna get along with everyone everyone's not gonna get along with you and you gotta let that bounce off you you're gonna have people who are gonna try and throw attitude at you you're gonna have a fair number of people who will walk on the boat with something to prove and they're gonna do the band camp thing beware crew who spends their entire time on the boat talking about this thing that happened on this other boat it's like oh it was always so awesome on you know insert name of boat here oh back on unicorn we had the best time it's like okay you're not on unicorn you're not on whatever like be present be in the moment and it's just for me it's kind of a red flag and they're going to be great people to learn from so just try and learn every opportunity i mean i'm i'm continually learning i'm by no means the best sell in the world, but I certainly like offshore sailing and I feel like I do an okay job at it. So skippers, let's talk about skippers briefly. So in terms of skippers, I have said before, there is no perfect skipper, right? There's no perfect owner. Um, I'll use that term interchangeably. The assumption is that the kind of boats you guys are going to be racing on uh, or are running are not going to have a professional skipper and the owner is going to be the guy calling the shots and that's fine. Um, owners have a lot on their minds. Owners have put a ton of their resources and their time and their energy into these boats. If you're on a race boat, odds are pretty good you're on a 300, you know, odds are pretty good. I won't even throw a number out there, but the odds are pretty good that your the race boat that you're racing on costs as much as a regular person's house. Let's just say that. $400,000 race boat, not even a problem. Like 200000 probably on the low end uh, for a big offshore boat. You know, these sales are fifteen grand a piece sometimes and can be much, much higher. So you, mean, you just think about that. So number one, respect the skipper. Respect the amount of money that they've put into this thing. Everyone needs something from the other in this situation, but you cannot approach this as fully transactional right you can't say oh well this guy needs crew and i'm good crew so he can just you know suck it if he's not going to be you know recognizing how awesome i am or i'm not gonna i'm not gonna load groceries i'm i'm a great sailor you know like that kind of thing that kind of attitude is a bullshit attitude okay if, if you join a boat if you join a racing team it's a team so that means you've got to help get that boat ready and do some running around if you need to do some running around. Get some goddamn groceries if you need to get groceries. Like, that is just what it is. And you're not too good for that. Now, on the flip side, there are skippers that will ask too much. And, and where you are and, and where 
your skipper is in terms of what kind of boat they have. Am I going to spend a million hours and burnish the hull on the Catalina 38 from 1985? Probably not. But if I'm new to this thing, if I haven't done a race before, I'm going to get in there with both hands and take my f- free six-pack of beer and we'll all drink and we'll have a good time while we're doing it. I mean, if if this... But the, the cardinal rule to me is that if there is kind of shit work that needs to be done on the boat, Skipper's got to make it like a crew party. I don't mean like a party like Dancing Girls, but like put some music on, get some beers, let's work through the project, let's get it done. Again, uh, for me, music is very important, right? Like, let's not be working in silence. And if you're going to ask people to come down and work on your boat on a weekend or whatever to get all ready for the race, and they're they're like, yeah, okay, I'm gung-ho, I'm committed to doing that. The skipper, I hate to say it, you have an obligation to have a list of exactly what needs to be done. You had to have all the tools available. You can't have eight guys arrive at your boat ready to do work, and they're all standing around with a thumb up their ass because you can't figure out what the crescent wrench is. Like, that is your obligation as skipper. The crew's obligation to a certain extent is to help get that boat ready for racing and without things going beyond the norm, right? Like, it's not okay to necessarily ask your crew to swap out the head on the boat, for instance. No, that's that's too far. You're asking too much. You're getting into the territory where you should be paying a professional rigger to do some of this work. You know, you're asking too much. But getting the boat ready, cleaning the boat out, getting the extra shit off the boat, painting the bilge, maybe overhauling the winches, that kind of stuff, totally acceptable. And even burnishing the hull, absolutely acceptable. But again, be ready so that these people who are spending their time away from their families or their wife or their girlfriends or their kids, they want their time to be used wisely. They don't have time to fart around. No, nobody anymore has like extra time for anything. Okay, if we're on a boat and getting a boat ready for racing, it's because some other thing isn't happening. Because we told our wife, no, we can't go and do that thing with them that they want us to do. So you got to respect other people's time as a skipper. And you have to respect the skipper because he just spent a shit ton of money on new sails and all manner of other things that you probably never even realize. And also, if you're a crew and you're moving those sails on and off the boat, you better goddamn well be nice to those sails. A North 3DI sail is worth so much more than you would think. And if you're flopping it on the ground and creasing it weird and not flaking it nicely and not respecting the tools of the trade, then you're ready to get off the boat. Like, that's just what it is. But yeah, every skipper has their quirks. Some are good drivers, some don't drive. Some are great navigators, some don't navigate. Some are bad sailors and think they're good sailors. Some are great sailors and you need to sit back and watch what they do because they're not necessarily going to be trying to teach you every minute. You also have to understand that as crew on the boat, if a skipper is trying to teach you something, A, it might just be the way they want it done on their boat and every boat does things differently. I don't care who you are. Every boat has a different technique for doing things. So sometimes when I go on a boat, I will ask seemingly dumb questions. People are like, this guy doesn't know how to do that. I'll ask sometimes, and it'll be because I've observed things being done a certain way. 
I'll ask a skipper how they like me to coil the lines. What do you mean? How do you, and a skipper who maybe hasn't had a lot of training will just do the thing that my dad did, just kind of loop, 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 you know, and not realizing that on the kind of line that it is, you know, if it's a double braid that really a figure eight kind of loop is better. Some people have only been used to doing a figure eight, but now with single braid type line, it's not really as necessary anymore. The, the, the line doesn't necessarily take that figure eight the way certain other kinds do. Simple things, things that you think you know how to do, ask or verify because the thing you don't want to do is be doing it your way and then get into an argument with the skipper about why your way is better than their way. That is not a good situation to be in. You know, if the guy has spent this much money on a boat, I'm not saying he's right about everything, but he has earned the right to do things his way. And if you feel like you are good enough that you can school him on your better way, then and your way is genuinely better, good luck to you. You can have that fight if you want it. But sometimes it's easier to just keep your mouth shut and go, yep, and then maybe do it, do it your way or have a quiet talk with some of the other crew members about how they're doing things. So, yeah. Teachable moments, they're always there. As a skipper, be careful with that. You don't want to start feeling or having people feel like you're talking you're talking down to them, especially people who've done a bunch of sailing. They they don't want to hear you tell them that everything you do is wrong. If you, if the skipper thinks everything you do is wrong, you shouldn't have been on that boat for that race, right? Like it's incumbent upon the skipper to know your level of skill and if he thinks you suck, then you shouldn't be on the race. Or if he thinks you suck, he should tell you early on that he thinks you suck and that he's going to try and work with you, but you've got to be receptive to that work. And again, people's egos get in the way, but if you can suck it up and listen to that and go, right, I'm here to learn and to, to learn a better way, because you might have been doing something a certain way for 20 years and then and, and all of a sudden realize it wasn't the best approach. That happens. But if that's going to become a conflict, let that become a conflict before you get on the ocean. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm kind of burnt out on talking about this. Just have fun. Don't get scared. Take your goddamn meds. If you get seasick, you fuck everybody. So know early what works for you. I know this is like in every book. This is every bit of advice. But it's so important. If you lose three quarters of the B team's watch, the A team is just eating shit the whole race because they're picking up your slack and they're having to drive the boat more. They're having to clean clean up your puke. They're having to prepare food for you. Uh, I'll give you a tip. Sometimes you got to listen to mom. Um, flat Coke is uh, is really good for settling your stomach if you're feeling seasick. Um, I don't know why people you know, people say ginger ale too. That's okay. Flat Coke for me. Well, I don't really get seasick because I take my pills. I take boning. It works like a charm. I could be run over by a truck and still not be seasick. And I take boning in this way. I take a boning and then I feel fine. And if for a half a second, I think for a half a second, hmm, I might. If I not even not even if I feel seasick, if the idea of seasickness crosses my mind, right? Because that's what happens before you get seasick. You're not like, oh, I might be getting seasick. You're just like, hmm, yeah. I wonder if I should. Uh, wonder if that pill's wearing off. You know, as soon as that 
thought crosses my mind, I pop another boning. And then I'm bulletproof. And and this is why I can cook for everyone and can clean all the dishes when the boat's on its side and healing and bashing through waves. That doesn't work for everybody. But for me, it's great. The patch works really well. Uh, my wife, for years, and we sailed halfway around the world, and and then she found the patch. Again, immune. And happy as a clam, too. Had some sort of weird uh, uh, psychological factor for her, I think it made her chipper, which was kind of funny. But, yeah, take your seasick meds. And I, I don't know why people, like, try and tough it out. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, people don't want to take seasick cyst meds. Like, why would you not take the thing that's going to make you not feel like crap? Like, seasickness is so debilitating. And people have been airlifted off boats. Like, like if you get seasick bad enough, like, you're in trouble and may need medical intervention. Anyway, I'm going to leave you with that. Brian, sign it off. Have a great night.